I'm Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 26th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today, our topic is cloud computing for lawyers, the cloud curmudgeon versus the cloud champion. This is going to be a great battle today on a very hot topic, don't you think, Jim? I sure do. And it is my pleasure to introduce one of our two very knowledgeable speakers, Eric Mazzoni. Welcome, Eric. Eric is the director of the Center for Practice Management at the North Carolina Bar Association, where he helps lawyers with technology and practice management. Prior to joining the North Carolina Bar, Eric practiced law for 10 years in large and small firm settings. He speaks frequently on legal technology and law practice management throughout North Carolina and around the country and is also on the editorial board of Law Practice Today webzine. Thanks for having me. And it's my great pleasure to introduce a friend and colleague, Ben Shore. Ben is a technologist and the CEO of Roland Shore & Tower, a consulting firm with offices in Honolulu and Los Angeles. And I'll leave it up to the listeners to guess which offices he chooses to work out of. He advises clients all over the world, mostly law firms, on the effective use of technology in their practice. He's on the planning board of the ABA Tech Show and is a frequent speaker, author, columnist, blogger, and just generally will not shut up when it comes to technology technology, security, and process. He writes and speaks a lot. He is also the author of the ABA's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Outlook 2007, and The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Word 2007. They are both funny as well as highly informative, and I recommend them both, having worked on editing both of them. Welcome to the Digital Edge, Ben. Thanks, Sharon. It's great to be back. Why don't we start off with a definition of cloud computing, as some of our listeners may not know exactly what it is. Ben, can you give us your definition? Well, I'm not sure anybody knows exactly what it is, to be honest. Cloud computing is a concept as well as a practical reality. As a concept, it's, it's a platform that abstracts the underlying infrastructure. So, for example, you, you may not be aware of the specific server you're accessing, you're, you're accessing a pool of devices that are addressed as one thing, but the actual infrastructure behind that is, is sort of hidden, and the, and the cloud sort of takes advantage or, or gives you the ability to address with one word or one, one address that large pool of resources. The advantage to that, of course, being that it's easy to scale up and down, the disadvantage being that you don't really know where everything is behind it. Now, there are a lot of services that comprise cloud computing. Software as a service is the one that most people think of, things like Gmail or uh, Rocket Matter or Clio. But there are a lot of other services that can be part of cloud computing as well, online backups and things like that. Anything that you would like to add or clarify, Eric? I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with, with Ben's definition, but to sort of talk about it in a framework that uh, lawyers might understand more readily, I think the way I think of it anyway in my head is that instead of running applications on your server or on your computer, they run in a shared data center somewhere. And so your browser kind of becomes the platform by which you use all your applications. You do everything through your Firefox or Internet Explorer. And most of the time, the data, the underlying data that you're saving will also live on servers that are outside your office. Well, that, I, that's a better explanation than I had. 
You, you know, I actually was reading, I forget, Information Week or one of these magazines about how there are now huge data centers growing up all across the country, just giant complexes with incredible security, even what they call man trap doors where, where you go in and you're screened and then they do the retina scan before you go through the second door. I mean, it's all quite something. So it is a, a whole new world and they're, they're going to great lengths to make us feel secure. But Ben, you're our cloud curmudgeon. Can you tell us why you are? Sure. For me, it comes down to a few sort of core issues, and the fundamental one is about control of your data. And I guess I should clarify that, that not all data is, is equal. If you're talking about your kid's soccer schedule, I, I think that's a much different kind of data than, say, you know, a confidential client document and should be treated differently. I don't have a lot of concern about whether or not, you know, my softball team's record is publicly accessible or not, but I do have a lot of concern if my billing data is publicly accessible. For me, it's about control of your data. And the further away from your data you are physically, the less control of it you have. Currently, if I need to get to my billing data, it's on a server right down the hall. If I put my billing data in the cloud, then I don't know where it is. It's on some server somewhere and they're promising me it's secure and it's backed up and it's going to adhere to my document retention policies and all of those good things. But I'm really taking their word for it. And, and the more layers of third parties and fourth parties you, you insert into this, the less control of your data you have. One quote that I thought was kind of really illustrated this well was uh, Mark, Mark Hurd, who's the CEO of, of Hewitt Packard. Uh, he was talking about cloud computing and he said, if you tell a CEO, put our email in the cloud, a certain number of CEOs will tell you not to. If our chief information officer, uh, Randy Mott, told me, put our general ledger up in the cloud, I'd tell him, go back to work. We're not doing that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's, and that's the same kind of thing. It's about what kind of data it is that you're trying to control and where it is. My, my second concern is a related one. It's about what I call geolocation. You know, we've had a, recently had a big argument in the courts about whether or not the Fourth Amendment protects email when it's stored on third-party servers or not. And, you know, there's still some debate about that, I suppose, but whether or not the Fourth Amendment protects email in the United States or not, what does the Fourth Amendment protect in Malaysia? You know, if your data is being stored in, I don't know, China, what protection do you have as far as data privacy uh, from, from a legal standpoint? What are the e-discovery rules there that you have to be aware of? I also have concerns about reliability. Further away my data is, the more moving parts there are between us to get to to break or get have a problem. So those are my my main concerns. Well, you're you're living up to the cloud curmudgeon title we bestowed upon you. Very good, Ben. Now we'll bring out of his corner our our other champion, the cloud champion. So Eric, how would you respond to Ben? Yeah, thanks, Sharon. Well, what what I really like about cloud tools for lawyers fundamentally comes down to that cloud tools let lawyers be lawyers. We all went to law school because we wanted to be lawyers, not because we wanted to mess around with IT stuff all day. You take your average lawyer running a small law firm, and IT is like one of 50 things that he or she has to think about all day long, along with hiring and firing and finding clients and you know paying payroll and all the other stuff. So IT is a really small fraction of what they have time to devote to. And cloud tools tend to simplify this. They make it easier for you to run a, a law firm. Some of the things I like about it, it's like no upfront fees for buying servers, no big fees for maintaining servers, no big upfront costs for licensing, reduces the amount of money you have to spend on IT consultants. You can get off, as they call it, the upgrade treadmill where every 18 months your software vendors selling you the next version. 
you know, it's accessible anywhere. It, whether you, I, I use a Mac at home and a PC at work, and I can use cloud tools in either place because I'm just logging in through my browser. You know, I mean, I, lo I love them. I think they're great. Okay, Mr. Curmudgeon. I know you're just probably dying to tell us some stories about cloud disasters, so here's your invitation to do so. Okay, I'll be happy to. First, I would actually like to, to respond to one thing that Eric said there. He makes some excellent points, and, and he's really nicely summed up some of the advantages of cloud computing, of which I certainly don't deny there are many. But he, he made a comment about the upgrade treadmill, and I forgot that one of my other concerns with cloud computing is that you're still on the upgrade treadmill, except now you're on somebody else's schedule. You may not be paying the upgrade for the upgrade treadmill. That's an excellent point, but you also have less control over it. If the cloud computing vendor decides tomorrow that he's going to change his application in some way, you're going to probably going to find out about it when you log in and see that it's different, and that could cause some issues for you. So that's that's one of my other cloud concerns there. So let's talk about cloud disasters. You know, one of the most obvious ones that comes to mind is from back in March of '09 when. Google made a mistake in their docs application. They configured something incorrectly, and they inadvertently exposed some documents to people who weren't supposed to see them. Was it a, a massive disaster that, that ruined lives? Uh, no, not really. But it was an example that, you know, with computing, if you configure the wrong thing the wrong way, bad things can happen. And that even companies the size of Google and their technicians who, you know, everybody agrees Google's got some bright people over there, even those guys can make mistakes. And when they make a mistake, they could expose private data to people who aren't supposed to see it. Now, again, if it's your kid's soccer schedule, maybe you don't care. But if it's a trial strategy memo for a client, you might care a lot. Recently, Microsoft's Danger, which I don't know who names a, a, a <laughs> data service Danger, by the way. Um, probably, pr probably the same people who invest with a guy named Madoff. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, Microsoft's uh, Danger service, you know, it lost, at least temporarily, the data for a large number of T-Mobile Sidekick users, or at least the, the backups of it. Earlier in January of 2009, a company called Magnolia apparently lost not only all their data, but all their backups, too. That was a, it's a bookmark sharing site uh, up in the cloud. You know, is it, are, are cloud disasters happening every day? No, probably not. But they do happen occasionally, sometimes serious, sometimes not as serious. But the potential is always there. Now, of course, Local companies lose their data on their local servers, too, if they're not careful about it. But at least with my server, I know if it got backed up because I've got the backup in my hand. Yeah, if it's okay, I'd like to jump in and, and reply to that. I, I think Ben makes a lot of good points here. And I would like to say that if you bought a product called Danger, you kind of did come to the nuisance. But that's, <laughs> that, that said, I, I think, you know, what was widely talked about right after the, the Microsoft Danger incident is that, if users had, and some had, done local backups of this data, they were just fine. So I think one of the things that's important here is that cloud computing doesn't necessarily absolve users of, you know, any thinking about IT. It just reduces it. And a lot of what I'm hearing from Ben talks about managing risk. And I think he makes a good point. But, you know, it, you have to look at risk in the context of all of your other business decisions. Be a lot less risky to have a completely custom hardware, software, computer network brought made for you by a team of experts from the Pentagon, and then you know not have anyone else have access to it. But it wouldn't be a very efficient way to run your your life in a law office. I mean, you have to you have to manage risk and balance it with your other business requirements. 
Well, that's true. Of course, when I think efficiency, I don't usually think the Pentagon. But well, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> it's court, I, should, I was going to say Google, but you ran all over them. <laughs> well, Google does some good things too. Oh, they'll, they'll be happy to hear that. The other. The other thing to be concerned about, I think, with from a standpoint of disasters, you know, disaster is a very personal thing. You know, if my house floods, that's a disaster to me. Does my neighbor care? Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. You know, I have a client right now, in fact, who who is having a tremendous amount of problem with his internet provider. I won't say on the air who it is, but it's one of the big national providers, and his reliability has gotten to the point where he has to reset his uh, his DSL connection every thirty, you know, three or four times a day just to get it to work because it slows to a crawl and then to a total stop. And they've been unable to fix that problem for him yet. And, you know, that's obviously a big headache for him, but it would be a lot more of a headache for him if he was completely dependent on all of his practice management in the cloud. He's, he's lucky that most of his mission-critical applications are local so that even if his Internet slows down, he can still get his work done. <laughs> well, yeah, you, I, I, mean, I, I always hear this stuff when people are talking about cloud problems, about how, uh, you know, the rest of the world lives in these horrible places where there's, you know, Internet access goes in and out. In, in my life, I live in North Carolina and not exactly an urban hub, and my Internet's always up. I mean, or almost always, and if it's not, I've got five coffee shops within five-minute drive to where I can go and then have access to all my stuff. It certainly is a lot more dependable to get access to the Internet for me somewhere than it is to rely on, you know, for example, just my one server here in, in the building where I work. Well, Jim, I think these guys, these guys have come out of their corners, and they, I think they've gone through the next uh, question that we were going to talk about. Why don't you move us, Jim, over to the agreements that people have to sign? Fine, Sharon. In fact, Ben has elaborated at some length in other forums about the issue with cloud computing or software as a service, as we sometimes call it, is the terms of service or the agreements that you have to sign. So, Ben, could you tell us a little bit about that? Thank you. And thank you, by the way, for generously saying elaborated at great length and not just... <laughs> rambled on and on. <laughs> okay. we, we can speak an artful truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, with any product you're, you're, you're using, whether it's software as a service, online backup, you know, you, even your mobile phone or your bank, there, there are terms of service that you're agreeing to when you, when you sign up for that service. And I really implore everybody, read those terms of service. I know you probably don't want to, because most of them, with all due respect, were written by lawyers, and they're not very enjoyable to read. But you really do need to read them. On our blog, I've, I've examined so far the terms of service from Houdini, which is uh, one of the service providers, one of the software service providers, and Clio. I am going to get to Rocket Matter and a few of the other folks uh, as soon as I have time to. And there are a few things in there that are, that are pretty interesting that you might not have realized if you didn't look at it first. One of the points that I see recurring that gives me a great deal of pause is that Houdini-esque, and I should point out, Houdini-esque changed their terms of service after this discu the discussion I had with them after I pointed out these issues, and Clio both have, have or had a clause in their terms of service that said that if you exceeded the average bandwidth usage of other users of their service, that your service could be suspended or terminated. Now, their intent there is to protect themselves against people who are running some sort of third-party synchronization applications that go wild and start you know, overwhelming their service with data requests. And that's fine. I, I understand that intent. But the reality is that their terms of service says, if you exceed the average use of other users, we can shut you off from your practice management product. That's a big deal. And the problem with it is it's putting a quota on you that you can't know. 
you have no way of knowing what everybody else's average usage is. It's one thing if they say five gigabytes per user per month. Okay, that's fine. That's a number you can work with. You can manage it. You can monitor it. But when they say the average usage of other users, I mean, I don't even know who their other users are, much less how much they use it. I don't want to come in one morning and find out I can't access my mission-critical case management product because I've exceeded some mysterious person's other usage. So that's one concern that you'll find and you may find in there. Again, that's being thankfully Houdini has took that clause out, and I'm hoping Clio will do the same. Another clause you may find is one that specifically allows them to outsource their storage of your data to unspecified third parties. Now, that's not an unreasonable clause because if you look at the way cloud computing works, most of the vendors are not going to have the resources to store all of your data locally. And by that, I mean in their own servers. Most of them are going to have to outsource to big data centers. The concern I have with that is they don't tell you who or where those data centers are. And that comes back to what if that data center is in a country that's unfriendly to the United States? You know, what if that country's in, that data center is in Venezuela? You know, I don't know what the laws are there. I don't know what their e-privacy laws are there. There are a lot of concerns. And, and Houdini Ask has address those concerns by guaranteeing in their terms of service that they'll only outsource to data centers where your data is completely stored within the United States. And that's good. That, that alleviates, doesn't completely cure, but alleviate, you know, eases that concern. But there are other things like that. So I, I very much encourage you, read the terms of service carefully and see what it is you're agreeing to. Well, we lawyers ought to be good at reading contracts. So how well do you think these agreements protect lawyers, Eric? What would your advice be to lawyers concerning signing these agreements or, in fact, uh, shrink-clicking on these agreements? Yeah, <clears throat> well, I agree with a lot of what, what Ben had to say. And, I mean, for starters, if you're about to purchase some software that's going to contain mission-critical data and you're a lawyer and you don't read the contract that comes with it, you know, just stop now and write to the dean of your law school and ask for a refund for your tuition for the three years you wasted there. I mean, we got to <laughs> read these things, right? And I do agree. Ben brings up some good points. I mean, he mentioned Clio, and I think that's a good one to talk about for me as well because I just happen to be familiar with that. And I think Ben brings up some good points about the questions that you need to look at the fine print, and the lawyer needs to know the answers to these questions. You know, you want this geographic redundancy. You want your data to be in multiple places, and you want those places to be far apart. I mean, because if California slides into the ocean, as it did in the movie 2012 that I just saw <laughs> last weekend, you'd, it'd be good if your data was someplace else. You know, and I know – so, Cleo, I, I just happen to know because I've spoken with the C. Yeah, they have data in California and in Massachusetts. But I mean, there's a whole bunch, and Ben mentioned some others. You know, there's Rocket Matter and Advologix, and these are just the practice management people we're talking about. So I do, I do think he's he's getting at asking the right questions and the service level agreements or the terms of service. It's worth digging in there and finding out how often is your provider going to do a backup? You know, and you know, how, how often should you be doing a backup on your own? Where Where is your data going to be stored? How are you going to get it out? Is there an export fee for getting it out? Some of these providers have started using data escrow services so that in case the underlying service provider slides into bankruptcy, you still have a guaranteed way to get your data back out, which I think is a pretty cool clause to have involved if you're going to be dependent on having someone else hold your data. So, I mean, the answer is, in my opinion, you know, how, how well do these contracts protect us? They protect us as well as we read them and as well as we ask the right questions. I think Ben hinted at a lot of the right questions to ask. Well, I, I agree exactly with, with what Eric said there, and he, he raised a, a several good points. One other word I want to make sure that they're 
that folks are thinking about. And, and the escrow service, by the way, I also to make sure that you're not, you can't be held completely hostage by a company that's holding your data. Uh, but one word I think that lawyers are going to need to understand when they're dealing with any cloud provider and also with the third-party escrow service is the word encryption. I would not handle, hand any confidential data off to a third party of any kind unless I could be assured that it was stored and transmitted in an encrypted form. Yeah, and I, I would say even your data on your laptop ought to be encrypted too. I t we totally see eye to eye on that, I think. Absolutely true. Eric, that was very good. And I'm, uh, you give me a lot of hope that the uh, property that John and I own in Nevada might turn into beachfront property one day. So thank you very much. <laughs> good uh, luck with that, <laughs> Hey, thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys, this is the last round. Ben, you are my second favorite cloud curmudgeon, seeing as how I'm married to my first favorite cloud curmudgeon. So what are your final words on cloud computing for lawyers? Well, I think that you know cloud computing is an exciting technology. I think it's got a lot of promise. I think it probably does have some role in our firms. However, there are a tremendous number of red flags that people need to be aware of. You know, Eric summed it up nicely, risk management. There is a lot of risk. You know, back in 1912, you know, everybody knew about icebergs, but nobody was counting the lifeboats. And so I just want to make sure that lawyers and firms out there who are considering cloud computing, and most of them are, with good reason, are asking the right questions, are reading the terms of service, are mitigating their risks. I definitely would not sign up with any cloud computing vendor that did not allow me any time I wanted to be able to have a local copy of my data. Uh, as I understand, Clio has that feature now, and I know Houdini-esque is working on it. I'm not sure about Rocket Matter. But those are the key issues for me. I want to make sure I have control of my data. I want to make sure it's protected, and I want to make sure that my risk of having my data shipped off to China or wherever is minimized. Eric, the floor is now yours. What are your final thoughts? I think that if in the, your practice of law, if you feel like hey, I really just love spending time and money with my IT consultant, then by all means, I think avoid the cloud tools that are available to you. I think if you want to get back to the practice and, and spend your time actually you know, practicing law, these tools are worth a look. They're not all perfect yet, as Ben said, but they are certainly worth looking at, and some of them are really great. We thought we'd close our podcast today by giving you the benefit of what Sharon and I think, and, and we too are somewhat on opposite sides, just like our guests, although I'm probably a little closer to the fence. I deal mainly with talking with small firm lawyers, and uh, even though there are theoretical issues with cloud computing, if you're a solo and small firm lawyer, you may not be in a position to pay the thousands of dollars that a, a consultant requires if you don't have the expertise to both configure your software and do security. I really have no concerns about online backup giving the appropriate provider. We've endorsed an online backup service here. The data is encrypted before it leaves your office. It's co-located in two locations 100 miles apart. Many HIPAA records are kept there. I'm also not overly concerned in one area about the terms of service. I don't think a shrink clip wrap term of service, one of our Oklahoma judges is going to say, well, you have to turn over all your clients' data to the opposing side just because of the terms of service. I am concerned that if there was a data breach, 
then in hindsight, somebody might look at that and, and call it negligence. But what I really like about the cloud computing model is what you call the upgrade treadmill. I think the upgrade treadmill is more user-friendly. I'd like to have one or two features come out every month or so, so I can learn how to use them and get tutorial on the one new thing instead of waiting till version X comes out and having six or eight new things so they can justify selling you a new product. So I, I think the small firm lawyer who is a techie like a, some of us on this phone call and likes fiddling with it may have a more secure situation in the cloud. I'm not sure everybody else does. My real concern is that in the case management situation, losing a password is losing the keys to the kingdom. It's not a little bit of data. It's like walking in the front door of your office and seeing all of your files. So, so maybe I won't be totally happy until these come with a biometric uh, USB device so you can put your thumbprint in them before you're allowed to log in. But I do think it's something that is coming, and, and I'm pretty excited, I'll say now, about the possibilities. Well, Cowboy, you make a lot of good points, and I think that cloud computing purveyors are becoming a lot more security conscious. They're trying to provide for local storage of data. I, I particularly applaud Clio, which recognized early on that this was one of their major vulnerabilities, uh, and they were talking about doing this almost as soon as they got into business, and now they're there. So I think that's wonderful, and I too don't know about Rocket Matter, Ben. I'd like to know, but I'm glad Houdini's working on it. But without the application and the data being stored locally, I have a lot of concerns for business continuity. That, that outweighs even my concern, security concerns, as grave as they are, just to be able to cut off for whatever reason, and you don't have anything, you don't have the application, that can really be tough. So I'm, I'm very concerned about that. I'm also concerned, as, as I keep saying, about security, because these clouds leak, and I'm not talking about rain. We've experienced a number of cloud disasters, and I think if you just Google history of cloud disasters, you'll find a bunch of them, and there'll be more to come. And especially now that the federal government has announced that it is undertaking a major cloud computing initiative. There hasn't been a disaster movie like that since Titanic. And I'm sure they're going to tell us that their cloud is just as unsinkable as that ship, and Ben will have a field day when it starts listing. And that's pr pretty much all I have to say about that, but I know that's what's going to happen. That's my prediction for next year. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Eric, for being with us. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>